Get after it, PDX. In-depth conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. and beyond. Now, let's welcome the host of Get After It PDX and the co-founder of Y East Wolfpack, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick word about our sponsors, the Amesur Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love that they bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment. Opening in spring 2020 in Northeast Portland. Welcome back, folks. We are here with another episode of Get After It PDX with a very special guest, Candice Malator. Hi. Who is a self-love advocate, brand strategist, influencer, Jill of all trades, photographer, many different things going on here. Yeah. Um, very accomplished already in your life, done lots of cool stuff, so we want to hear all about it and hear the backstory. Originally from Louisville, is that correct? Born in Louisville. Born there. But was adopted at such a young age that I basically just say I'm from Oregon, okay. from Portland, okay. yeah. So I assume then no memories of Kentucky? Very few, yeah. Okay. Maybe that plane ride, I don't know, but that's about it, yeah. Oh, really? Do you have memories of the plane ride? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> nice. So adopted at a young age, and you moved to Oregon then. Mm-hmm. Oregon City. I was brought on over to good old Oregon City, yeah. So you said you were adopted by a white family? Yes. You were African American? Yes. And obviously Oregon in general, and then Oregon City, I'm sure, um, pretty white. Yes. I feel like they say like Portland is like one of the whitest cities in America, the whitest, mm-hmm. like larger metropolitan cities. If you go to Oregon City, it's shocking how white it is, to be honest. So it's more, <laughs> it feels even more so. Somehow it is even more white, yeah. Wow. But so basically as soon as you could remember, that's where you were living mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I grew up in like the, kind of the backcountry woods of Oregon City, like close to Estacada, if anyone uh-huh. kind of knows where that is. and. Yeah. I grew up in this, like, awesome house that my dad built on the Clackamas River, and my childhood was honestly, like, pretty idyllic as far as, like, you know, what what I got up to every day, and my family was obviously, you know, loved me unconditionally, but definitely when I hit elementary school, middle school, I, I did notice, like, that I was different and that, you know, I didn't fit in in the same way that a lot of the, like, you know, like, white kids did in my school. Um, did it's you have siblings? I did. I have two older brothers. They're quite a bit older than me, though, so I was kind of raised as an only child. They're, like, 13 and 17 years older than me. And were they adopted, too, or were they biological? They were not. They're from my dad's, like, first marriage. Yeah, so we were kind of just, like, a big old melting pot of a family, Um, and, you know, we made it work. Like, it wasn't anything that was different to me, Um, but I definitely noticed, like, in the, like, school age um, that I was different. (laughs) And so you said, yeah, immediately you were felt those challenges, but you then embraced your uniqueness. Yeah, I mean... Is that like a distinct sort of turning point, like a mechanism where you're like, all right, I gotta... Like, this is so difficult, I have to figure out a way through it, I gotta embrace it. Yeah, I think, like, in the beginning, it's hard. Like, no one wants to be different, especially middle school age. You know, you just want to fit in. You want to wear the same clothes. You want to have the same hair, like, as everyone else does, the rest of your friends. But 
there was a point where I was like, well, you know, I don't look like any of those girls. Like, I have bigger thighs, and my hair is way curlier and crazier, and I feel like if I didn't embrace those differences, they probably would have broken me down. So it was almost like a fight-or-flight response to just being surrounded by kids who didn't look like me and not feeling beautiful all the time. Um, You know, it didn't happen overnight, but eventually I just kind of had to make the decision that I really did need to embrace my differences. Were there any other kids who looked at you at all? I was, I'll put it this way, um, I was one of four in my high school, so not even my graduating class in my entire 2000 student body high school. 2000. One kids. of four. One of. F- yeah. One of four African American. Yes. Yeah. We had a better range of Hispanic students, um, but like it wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh just God. not. <laughs> just so not a thing in Oregon City. A lot of Oregon, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what did people. Did you feel like. I'm sure they did, of course, in some ways, but were people treating you differently, or, like, was it this obvious, like, I'm sure that with the hair thing, too, people were like, oh, your hair, <laughs> Yeah. Like, to touch your hair. Yeah, there were definitely times where I felt tokenized. Um, I have braids now, but I didn't back then. I had, uh, I would just, like, relax my hair, so it would be, like, as straight as I possibly could, and that was another thing, was just, like, trying to assimilate to that. I ended up damaging my hair, like, to the point where I had to keep it in braids for a long time after high school, but that's you know a whole other story but um yeah i mean there were definitely times where i felt tokenized or um was just uh kind of i don't want to say the butt of the joke but i definitely experienced microaggressions um things that i look back on now and realize were not okay but at that point like you're 16 and you just want to you know have a boyfriend and you know be cute and have friends and fit in so um you know looking back it was definitely something where i'm like oh yeah that was not the greatest experience or i do remember that comment but you know back then it was more about i just need to like do me and embrace myself and um i guess just kind of rock what i've got to the best of my ability (laughs) as a 17 year old and so like straightening your hair basically to look like the hair yeah. the, the girls around you yeah to not have to deal with the the coils to not have to deal with you know brushing it out and yeah. just you know one making my life a little bit easier because yeah. none of my friends could relate to the struggle of wash day detangling hot combs you know they didn't so really you felt know like your hair was more similar to them then there was more uh relatability or yes yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. And did you talk to your parents about this stuff? Like, were they... I mean, obviously, there's that dynamic of, like, they're white, you're yeah. African-American. Is there, like, a... Was that on their radar? Was that... Absolutely. they knew your environment. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, adopting, like, an African-American girl, they obviously weren't just, like, we're going to just grab a kid from anywhere. Like, they very smart about the decisions that they made when they chose to adopt and my mom is actually from Cameroon her family uh, her parents were missionaries so she actually grew up in Africa and had quite the opposite experience of me where she grew up around people of color and then was thrown into the Bronx which was also very diverse um, separate from Africa but still pretty diverse and then her family moved to Oregon and she was like what is happening Um, so yeah so she she definitely uh was kind of like a guiding force behind, you know, all of my insecurities 
to steer me steer me in a more positive direction i would say um so i mean she obviously got the like if you want your hair this way we can do it this way whatever's gonna make you feel better um but i they were there for me when i was going through everything that i was going through um i never felt like they couldn't relate to me you didn't feel that I, I felt like they could hear me, maybe, is better. Um, and they, they could understand where these insecurities and where these thoughts were coming from, for sure. Mm-hmm. And they were as supportive as they possibly could have been yeah. <laughs> through all of it. Yeah. So what, you said you were getting into like some beauty stuff and fashion in high school, as a lot of girls are, guys yeah. do, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, what else were you into in high school? Like, And if somebody asked you in high school, like, what do you think you're going to be when you quote unquote grow up? Oh, what do you man. think you would have said? I thought I wanted to be a nurse in high school. Really? Um, and I think I only thought that because I knew the healthcare system was something that was like reliable and steady and I would always have a job in, mm-hmm. which it totally is. Um, and I don't knock anyone for going into that profession. I personally can't deal with blood. So <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was going to be a path for me. Um, but yeah, my entire senior year, we did like, we have this like senior project class, which is basically like you pick a career path and you focus on it for the entire term. You study it, you immerse yourself in it. And then at the end of the semester, um, you're, you're basically your entire senior grade is you giving this presentation about your experience. Um, and so I did an entire like three month stint in the baby ward at like, uh, like a local hospital. Um, I did a lot of different things. Obviously you can't really get in with the patients, but I did a lot of like behind the desk work. I did a lot of organizational work. Um, and at the end of it all, I was like, I do not want to do this. (laughs) Um, you saw some blood in the baby ward. Yes. So were you actually witnessing birth? I wasn't witnessing births, but I was definitely experiencing, like, I would see patients coming down the hall, patients who either, like, recently gave birth or were about to leave. Um, I would check patients in and out who were going to give birth or who were leaving with their new, you know, newborn. Um, So I saw that experience, and that's definitely the happier side of working in a hospital when things go okay and you're leaving with a happy and healthy baby, but... You know, I had a friend who was doing a similar thing, and she was put in the emergency ward, so I can't even imagine what that was like. She yep. definitely saw a lot of blood, I'm sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, my heart just wasn't in it. So when I started my like first year of college, I was just like, okay, I'll just focus on generals, because I'm back at square one. I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on at that point. Yep. Yeah. What did that uh, make you think about birth? Oh my god! Is that good birth control, or did that? I mean, I'm I'm a millennial, so I'm at the point where you never know how this country is gonna go. You don't know where this world is gonna go. I'm putting a hold on on the child thing for now. <laughs> Just like I need to get my life together, and the country needs to get its life together um, before I bring a person in this world. It's a lot for Very me. Understandable, yes. <laughs> But yeah, in general, seeing all of that happen was definitely, as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, good birth control at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I read, so it said you started, you gained some weight after high school? Yeah. Um, And so then, and you had been doing photography already, right? Some, as a hobby or an interest was developing? It kind of happened at the same time. Okay. Um, So... 
shortly after high school, a lot of my friends went away to colleges. Mm -hmm. My father worked at the community college in town, so I got free tuition. So I was like, not going to pass that up. Went there to do generals to just figure out what I was going to do. And around that same time, um, Tumblr was like really big. Instagram was just kind of creeping up. And I just decided, like, okay, this seems like a really cool thing. I was really into all the content I was seeing on there. All the imagery was just really beautiful, and I wanted to give it a go for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I got a camera. I started on a Canon T3i or T5i, something like that. Um, It's like a real camera. Yeah, a a Canon, yes. Not just your iPhone or whatever. Oh, yeah, no, not not my iPhone. I I did decide to get a camera. My dad actually, um, in our old house, had, like, a dark room that he had built, and he shot a lot of film. So he was a nice kind of guy to help me starting out as Mm -hmm. far as, like, you know, I'm shooting digital this time, but, like, what lens? And he helped me learn how to shoot in manual. And so I feel like I had a really nice jump start when it came to photography. Doesn't mean I was great at it right away. Um, but I definitely learned a lot in the first, like, few months of doing it. So I was really into just taking photos of my friends, the places we would go, um, things we would see, different shops in Portland, things like that. Um, and that just kind of jump-started this, like, underlying passion that I guess I had to just be creative and, and just capture what was around me. Um, and yeah, around that same time, I did gain quite a bit of weight out of high school, um... And I feel like photography helped me as an as a creative outlet because I wasn't it wasn't something that I had to to be a part of if that makes sense. Like I was very insecure when I gained a lot of weight. Okay. Um, so I felt like being able to showcase another side of me through my photography work and also be able to get other people to model in front of the camera. Um, I feel like. I wouldn't say it helped to boost my confidence, but I would say that it helped to boost um, just like my sense of self because I I felt like I had like another outlet and a sense of self-worth through my work of photography. Um, so at that point, I was just shooting my friends, different models. I was getting better at it, and I'd started an Instagram. Okay. And that's where I just started networking like all the time. I would go into Portland, I would meet people that I found through Instagram who I was inspired by their work, um, who were inspired by my work, who, you know, just went to the same places that I would take photos of. And it was just a really great networking tool at that time. No one really knew what Instagram was going to be. This was like 2013, 2014. Okay. Um, and... It was just really fun getting to know these people, shooting around, just being creative, and meeting friends who are outside of Oregon City, (laughs) (laughs) especially where, you know, the majority of my friends were off at four-year universities at that time, so it was kind of like a more lonely period of time for me, so this was an awesome outlet, Um, and I just hustled a lot and continued to work on photography and do school on the side. and then one day I stumbled into a tea shop that had just opened mm-hmm. on Northeast Killingsworth. And I just like love the aesthetic. I live in Portland, but I don't drink coffee, uh, which okay. a lot of people roast me for. Um, but I just liked, I liked the vibe in there. I loved the drinks. It was the first time I'd ever tried matcha, which is like a green tea that kind of gives a similar caffeine effect as, as coffee, mm-hmm. but it's a better flavor for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and... I really enjoyed it so I just took a bunch of photos and I wrote like a little blog post about it 
um, on my website, which is where I was showing a lot of my photography um, separate from Instagram. Mm -hmm. And the owner saw it and really liked it and loved what I had to say and appreciated that I was highlighting her new business that had just opened. Um, I didn't have a lot of followers at the time. I think it had maybe like 1,300 or 2,000 or something. Um, and she offered me a job. <laughs> And that's kind of where the whole, like, creative photography, social media journey started for me. Wow. Um, yeah. So, sh did you, like, write this blog post and then, sh like, share it with them so they saw it? Or did they just, like, were you tagging them and they it was on the radar? Yeah, yeah. So, at that point, I mean, she had just opened, so she had probably roughly as many followers as I did, around, mm -hmm. you know, one and a half, 2K. Um, and when I wrote the blog post, I... I tagged them and I just said, oh, I checked out this, you know, tea cafe today. It's called Tea Bar and it yeah. seems really chic and it's minimal inside. And um, they have this thing called matcha that's like new to me and it's really interesting. Um, and so I was just directing people to check it out. And she was one of the people that ended up seeing it um, through the tags. And that's just how it all kind of got started. She offered me a job as a photographer. Um, I had zero professional food or drink experience at that point, but I had actually just upgraded to a Canon 6D from uh -huh. my T5i, like nine months later. Uh -huh. um, so I felt confident. I was like, I've got this full frame now. I know what I'm nice. doing. I can do this. I know what depth of field means, you know? <laughs> um, so I said yes, and we just kind of uh, decided on a workflow that was going to you know be good for us and i was coming in weekly and shooting uh social media content and then uh she would post it on their instagram or do whatever with it and that was just kind of how it began and i mean at this point now it's it's grown quite a bit we had one shop there i'm still with them mm -hmm. four and a half years later nice. um we had one shop we've grown to four shops around portland and uh you know, I manage the entire social and do community outreach for them, and um, it's helped me get jobs, meet some awesome people that I probably otherwise would not have met, mm -hmm. make great connections, and yeah, I owe I owe her a lot for that, for reaching out and oh, yeah. taking a chance on a girl with a with a cannon. <laughs> How many photos were in that first blog post? Um, I still have it up, actually. I think there were maybe four or five. Okay. It was just like a, a little recap. Like, it was some, just like a shot of your drink and a shot of, you know. Yeah, the interior. Um, she, at that point, there were like fun like magazines along the bar. So I think I highlighted that. But okay. yeah, there were maybe yeah four or five images from that first visit. And um, that was it's enough to sell her yeah, nice. <laughs> to hire me, I guess. Wow. <laughs> when you were like in high school... And before even maybe, were you going into Portland like as a yeah. as a source of culture and excitement? Yes, and and I think my parents were really the ones that um, that pushed that a little bit more than even I did. Like, but, hey, get out into a more city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, there's no one in Oregon City that does black hair. No one is educated on it at all. So 
from the age of seven, I was going into Portland to get my hair done. And I was, okay. I don't know if you've seen Barbershop, but like with like Ice Cube <laughs> yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. but it's like very much <laughs> that vibe yeah. where, you know, you go in, you're sitting down, someone's working on your hair and there are tons of people there to either just hang out that are selling food in there that are, you yeah. know, just, just there to, yeah. to be a part of the scene. Because it um, takes a while to do braids and oh stuff, yeah right? yeah it could this be hours this hairstyle now these like i don't know 25 inch braids that i've got going on here um i found a really fast girl she'll do it in about three hours <laughs> but typically like hair appointments when i was young would last five hours half a day it was yeah it's it's like a whole thing so intense to sitting there exactly Dang. yeah getting your scalp pulled <laughs> on it's real fun <laughs> but um so where I mean, would you sorry where would you go Exactly. So I went to a few different shops growing up, but the one that I went to in the beginning and ended up sticking with for a really long time is Geneva's. They're still there off of uh, MLK, about a block up from Killingsworth. Okay. Um, and that shop was just like everything. I mean, it, w it was family owned, or it is still. Um, and, you know, you just saw, like, all the generations of family members that were there either doing hair, walking around, managing the place, um, talking so to everybody. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's just such a, it's a vibe for sure. Um, but, yeah, so my parents took me into the city to get my hair done. And then from there, it was just, you know, they would take me to see plays. My mom was a drama teacher and an English teacher, right. so she definitely wanted to make sure I got that kind of culture going. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, they take me to the art museum. They take me to restaurants down there. I was about to ask, like, yeah, do you, you see art and be inspired by other photographers or other artists? A little bit. I mean, I was, I was mostly just inspired by seeing my dad be so hands-on with his own photography. Mm -hmm. I, like, loved that he, you know, when I was really young, when we were in our old house, would you know develop the photos i remember being young and having to knock on the darkroom door before i could come in mm, you know so yes. i didn't like ruin the images and yeah. um and then when we you know moved and obviously the digital age came in he would make his own prints at home he had like a giant printer and you know he would hang his own stuff in our house and um i think that really inspired me but obviously i'm inspired by you know so many different facets of artwork but yeah we would definitely take a little extra time in the photography section <laughs> of the art museum and things like that what was he shooting subject wise um he did a lot of landscape okay so you know we were you know out in the country so he would do like these like crazy old barns that would be abandoned mm -hmm. um obviously there's like a lot of like grass and river uh landscape shots mm -hmm. um he would do a lot of black and white um he would shoot us like the family things nice. like that but yeah he was mostly a landscape guy that sounds inspiring <laughs> yeah yeah it's really cool so so you said at the towards the end of high school as you were getting into the photography you gained weight and were a little bit more self-conscious about your physical appearance yeah was that a new thing or had you been self-conscious about your physical appearance or your body in high school in, definitely in high school probably even middle school mm -hmm. I feel like middle school is when everyone's very aware of how different they are and whether you choose to embrace it or not you're just mm -hmm. more hyper aware everything's changing you know mm -hmm. um, but yeah when I gained weight out of high school it it was slow and gradual um, but I just, 
it didn't have a good relationship with exercise. I felt very insecure when I would go in a gym, just in general, regardless of, you know, the timeline of when I had gained weight. But my weight had been fluctuating, like, my entire life. So this just kind of felt like another up versus, like, a down that I experienced, like, my junior year. So um, it, it was gradual weight gain. I felt insecure about it, but I didn't feel like it was, like, the end of the world, I guess. Um, and I didn't really experience people treating me super differently, but I did notice it for sure. Um, but I think the thing that I noticed the most was like the negative self-talk that people have that I had, that my friends had around our own bodies. And I feel like that made it stand out for me a little bit more. So like almost like a culture thing, but yeah, amongst your friends and you of like intense self-criticism around yeah i mean just like teenage girls in general you know you're like 19 you're going to college or you're meeting new people and you know all of a sudden you're like oh my arms kind of have this you know extra shake or my thighs or oh you know i wish my stomach was flatter or anything and it's also you know the rise of social media so you're exposed to so many more bodies that don't look like yours that you wish you looked like or you know whatever it might be so i feel like it just really enhanced the negative self-talk um, a lot and that for me made the weight gain stand out a little bit more to the point where I didn't put myself on my Instagram for the first like two or three years yeah I was about to say now if you have your Instagram you're <laughs> far all far different <laughs> yeah well, no, obviously yeah you're, you're featured in a lot of the photos which is cool um, yeah so clearly there was a shift there along the way yeah and of course I'm asking about all this because you made it part of your your job and what you do and who you are to be a self-love advocate mm-hmm. and to, um, you know, body positivity and all this. Um, so what, so after T-Bar, you get that awesome job. Lead me through the next evolution of Yeah, of things. phase two. Phase, what's the phase two? So T-Bar obviously yeah. was a big, it's an awesome stepping stone. Yeah. And you're still with them, of course. Um, I am still with them, yeah. But so what was, what came next? So... At that point, um, I was doing photography for them, which evolved into running social. So I was getting a really uh, quick quick and dirty lesson as far as like what it comes to running a social media page for a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Instagram was really taking shape at this point. Uh, more people and personalities and brands were being on the app and uh, growing a lot faster. Um, so it really helped to have someone in place to really handle that. And I learned so much. Just and you were the person. The, the single, person. Yeah. Still am. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and it's changed a lot since when I first started running it. But in general, I learned so much about just what it takes to manage a page. Okay. Um, from engagement to content scheduling, all of that stuff. Um, even just like emailing, uh, networking, connecting, that kind of way. Um, So I learned a lot from the TUR page and I kind of took what I learned and applied it to my own page. Um, At that point, it was still just my photography. Um, But the turning point for showing more of myself came uh, when I was feeling a little bit burnt out from all of that. Um, you know, doing commercial stuff or like professional stuff like I was doing for T-Bar was a lot different than my personal photography, which was a lot of portraiture at that time. And I found that it took a, a lot of work for me to be able to, um, bring my visions to life. Um, and I don't think I was like willing. It was a lot of work for very little return, if that makes sense. So 
you know, I was really into photography. I was trying to grow my page and I would do these, I would come up with these crazy concepts um, that, you know, I was so excited about and I would spend all this money on a studio and wardrobe and, you know, getting assistance and then the model would bail. And you're just like, all of that work is down the drain. And I also don't have content, which I yeah. need to like help grow my page and all that yeah. stuff. So, you know, it didn't happen all the time, but when it would happen, it was a big blow to my, you know, yeah. to my emotions. Like yeah. it, it felt like it was personal. And I personally just like my heart was just being less and less in it. Um, like were you funding, like the purpose of those shoots was to build your own portfolio. Yeah. yeah. So you were, it was your own money yeah absolutely no one was paying you for that yeah no, no. so were you paying the models then um, or trading or yes something? yeah whether it was trading or paying for the like bigger ones i would pay them yeah. for their time and i would just try to work quickly i learned how to work very quickly at that nice, point nice. i could bang out a shoot in like an hour and have it you know look exactly yeah. how i wanted to um but eventually it just got to a point where i my heart just like wasn't in it as much you know portrait photography i still do it mm -hmm. um for clients but as far as for fun not as much mm -hmm. um and there was a week uh it was my birthday week and i had no content for my page so i just put <laughs> up a photo of myself and i was like here we go like just happy birthday to me kind of post it was just there a photo of me sitting on the beach and it did better in likes like performance wise than any photo i'd ever posted on my instagram and that was the turning point the only thing i could think of at that point was like they must just like like seeing my face and like seeing me every so often on my feed you know putting kind of like a face to the name that they've been following for a while um and then it just kind of expanded from there <laughs> but I mean, so if you're sitting on the beach though, it's not just your face it's like you're showing your body true yeah i was, was wearing... that like a question when you were choosing the picture did you think like oh well i'll show my face but did you still have hesitancy to like show your so I, form i was wearing a romper like a long yeah. sleeve romper so like right. legs were out but i wasn't exactly in like a swimsuit okay. we we had to work up to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next birthday was a little bit different Ooh, okay. but um it definitely took some time to work up to um but i think i think people just genuinely liked seeing me because you know they follow this page for a while they see all these models kind of like going through and maybe it gives them some inspiration in terms of styling or just in general but i think actually seeing the face of the person creating all that content um you know it makes it a little less mysterious and they feel like they can make more of a connection that way yeah. um so that was my reasoning for maybe why it had performed a lot better and then it just went from there so i mean in short i started just showcasing myself every so often you know i would sprinkle some photos of me in there mm -hmm. and every time they just did so much better um and so is that just each time giving you more and more confidence to keep going keep exactly were people like commenting like you know giving you supportive words oh yeah they were, were gassing me up yes yes for sure they like saying that you looked good saying you blah 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 yes yeah i mean and a lot of these people were my friends so like i'd be sad if they weren't <laughs> giving me compliments but yeah i mean showcasing myself and then getting positive feedback on that did inspire me and make me more confident to show more um so i mean from there 
I would, yeah, sprinkle some, some images of me in there. Um, and then it got to the point where I was doing more photos of me than I was of models. And that's kind of when I made the decision to, um, you know, to make it, to make my page more personal. Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, if these people really like seeing photos of me, um, I don't want to just be an account that's like, here's a photo of my skirt and that's it. You know, I want to add value. I want to make a connection. I want to, you know, have conversations, um, and have this be a place where people can feel better because there's so much of social media and Instagram specifically that is not that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so right. I, accounts and images that might make people feel worse about their bodies basically yeah oh yeah. Themselves, yeah yeah i mean you could just look at like the kardashians pages or any of the like you know insta baddies out there who you know not to knock them they're out there doing their thing but i think there's enough of that and there needed to be a corner of the internet that was just a little bit more positive and that people could take a look at and not feel bad about themselves when they leave the app mm -hmm. so um, you know, I was inspired by a lot of the women that I followed on social media who were already kind of trailblazing this body positive movement, who were really putting themselves out there um, and their bodies out there online, you know, which is, you know, they're opening themselves up to so much criticism, but they knew there was a bigger mission. I was so inspired by that. So I decided, like, you know, these women are being so forthcoming I think I can do a similar thing telling my own story. Um, and, you know, there is still, you know, my, I, I love fashion. There's still elements of, you know, my own style and things like that in there. But I also try to add points of value where I'm talking about, you know, my experience as a plus size woman of color living in Portland, um, just like a woman who has a plus size body in general who loves fashion and, you know, tries to put together outfits that, you know, fit my personal style, but it's not always the easiest when brands don't cater to that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just being a woman of color in a white city. All of these things, you know, I talk about on my page. Mm -hmm. And I think adding that element to, you know, my personal page where I've already, you know, I do the photography, I do personal style, all mm -hmm. of that stuff. Adding that element of just being open and vulnerable with my audience I feel like is really what took my page like to the next level. And so at what point it was around that time, then you started specifically saying that you were a self-love advocate or labeling it a little more deliberately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, self-love and body positivity kind of run in a parallel. They're not the exact yeah. same thing, but they're definitely a lot of the women who, um, consider themselves like self-love advocates or also body positive advocates mm -hmm. for sure and so you said you talk on your account about being a woman of color in portland in a largely white city so a few a few questions about that yeah. one i mean maybe you can just talk a little bit about sort of how you find that experience to be but in a city that's growing so rapidly do you feel like it's improving at all getting like any more diverse i do i i feel like i have hope for the city and that you know we do have um organizations that are actively trying to bring people of color into portland and keep them here with jobs um community that kind of thing like say hey is a big one um i it's it's definitely getting better 
Um, I would say, in general, because we're growing so much, the housing market in general makes it not seem that way. Um, because I know, you know, we're growing rapidly out, so a lot of the families in North Portland are being pushed out. Um, but as far as diversity goes, I've noticed a big shift in the last, like, I would say probably two to three years for sure. Where, you know, whereas I would walk into a restaurant and be probably the only, there's now maybe like three or four others. <laughs> so that's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to give too many props to Portland for that. It's not a huge <laughs> difference, but I do notice a difference. Um, you know, it, it, in general, just being the one of the only, it's just an isolating feeling. And I think there's this like thing that people just say like oh there's no black people in portland there are obviously black people in portland but i think the recognition of that um is something that we just need to work on as a city well i would imagine that even though it's saying quote unquote there's no black people in portland is acknowledging a real thing about a lack of diversity yeah but i I would imagine that as a (laughs) person of color or a black person african-american person in portland Having somebody say that is yeah. also like it feels very oh, outrageous. Yeah. So I don't live here. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. There are black people here. Yeah. It's just the ratios aren't <laughs> aren't what as we good are wanting. Or you see in other cities and places. Exactly. Yeah. So the same in itself uh, feels almost like an erasure, but yeah. in general, you know, we're getting there. Remember that big billboard by that rapper? Amine. Um, yep. That's it. Exactly yes. Right. <laughs> Yes, there are black people in Portland. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was good. He's funny. He's hilarious. I actually shot one of his shows once. Really? This is a side topic, but yeah, uh, he did, like, the Roseland Theater, like, I think right before he, like, took off to L.A. It was almost like a farewell. Oh, he was in L.A. now? I think, he's probably back and forth. I saw him at a movie, like, a few months ago. He's getting pretty big. Yeah, I know. I don't know if he's working on an album now or not, but he's super dope. So you and Kate Hurley have teamed up for some fitness-based stuff. She's a big fitness person, guru in Portland. Yeah, So, yeah, I saw you guys have been doing some stuff together. Yeah, Kate... Tell us about that. Kate is super dope. So, um, she has an app um, that combines movement with meditation. So, in... She has all these workouts all over. It's on her website, but you can access it through your phone, and now the Apple Watch, which is super cool. Um, But each workout... You'll work out for maybe 20, 30 minutes, and then at the end, you'll meditate. And the combination of movement and meditation helps you feel a little bit more grounded when you actually sit down to do the meditation. The workout takes away a lot of the, like, antsiness that people feel when they have to just sit and be still for 10 minutes. Um, And the 10 minutes of meditation, I mean, there's so much research and science behind it to back it up, but... It helps with anxiety. It's one of the only things that can actually remove stress um, and like trauma from the body, and it's it's just it's amazing. Um, so I've actually been working with her uh, for the last like two years. We were working up oh, wow. until about June together, um, and so I helped her with strategy content um, in the beginning stages of her business. So it was just mm-hmm. really awesome watching it all grow. Okay. Um, and yeah, in, in the midst of all that, we actually filmed two workout videos together. So I'm featured in, um, the, um, it's like a, 
I'm featured in two videos. One is more of a um, like lower impact workout. Um, and the other one is called the Self Love Sweat Fest. And it is high intensity. 20 burpees high intensity. Like, so high intensity. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she's awesome. She kicks my butt every time. And, yeah, I love I loved working with her. She's amazing. What are sort of your basic tenets of, of self-love, so to speak? Like, if somebody was struggling with, with body imagery or, you know, comparing themselves to somebody else or whatever it is, and you had to sort of advise them on some steps to take to sort of try to counteract some of the negative self-talk you know what would or do people reach out to you like that and ask for your specific mm -hmm. advice or, yeah yeah um i think the first thing that people should kind of take inward as they go through this self-love self-acceptance body love journey is that it's it's very much a skill and it's something that you have to work at over time and continue to work out through your entire life is loving yourself absolutely yeah. and it's it might sound kind of funny to compare it to building a skill but it really it really is just that you know I, I didn't wake up one day and just decide like I love my body I love myself and I'm just gonna love myself forever and I'm great you know there are days I wake up where I feel good and then maybe in the middle of the day I'm like oh that's Oh, not my angle. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, the skill is to get past those thoughts and to realize that you are more than those thoughts and more than that bad angle or that jiggle in your arm or whatever, you know, and realize that you are, you are worth and worthy of so much more than speaking to yourself in such a negative way. Um, and, and so, you know, where, you know, I might have a couple of those thoughts a day, um, I feel like working at that self-acceptance has taught me how to get over those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the first thing is just kind of recognizing that. Um, the other thing that a lot of people can do is just to, like, really purge some negativity out of their life, starting with their social media feed. I think a lot of people, like, follow people that don't make them feel good. Um, or even just like hate follow some people where, you know, you feel like you have to follow them because maybe they're like a friend or a family member, um, or because everyone else is following them. I'm sure there are some people that follow the Kardashians just because they're the Kardashians. You don't actually have to follow any of those people. You know, you are in charge of who you see in your feed every day. And if those people aren't bringing you joy, and if you leave feeling terrible about yourself when you close that app, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, unsubscribe, unfollow, t mute, take that stuff out of your line of sight because it's only going to make you feel negative and less than every time you see it. And that should not be your experience. So, you know, I, um, I just follow a lot of people who, um, for me, inspire me to, to be better to myself and to others around me. Um, who posts inspiring content that adds value into my life and it doesn't just have to be body positive based but just in general like makes me feel like I can be more productive it's just beneficial mm -hmm. their content is beneficial to my life yeah. um, and those things have helped me immensely in like my whole journey toward like self-acceptance and self-love for sure and does do you practice meditation 
I do. Yeah. My meditation practice is not perfect by any means. I we aim. Expect it to be. Yeah. <laughs> I I aim for like five times a week. It ends up usually being about three, um, but I definitely notice a difference in the weeks that I'm able to achieve like three to five mm-hmm. meditations versus the weeks where I maybe don't do any. Um, it's it's helped me so much. Just one with like self-acceptance the body love just like you know it's a minute where you can just sit and be with yourself and focus on your thoughts i usually do it at the end of the day so i can kind of round out how that day made me feel you know what my body needs at that time it's just a minute where you can be quiet with yourself Mm -hmm. and everybody needs that at least for five minutes a day if you can you know and i would think that that helps because basically like my understanding of, of meditation is it's not that to say you never ever feel an angry thought or you mm-hmm. never ever feel a sad thought or you never feel an ang- anxious thought but it's that when you do feel those or think those thoughts you're able to just sort of accept them and let them pass through exactly and so then it's not like you're never ever again going to think yeah that's not my angle or you're never going to think a negative thought about your body or something but mm-hmm. is not letting that rock you too much yep. accepting that thought letting it pass through not holding on to it so exactly. I, would, I would think yeah practicing meditation helps you do all those things yeah love it's, yourself better it's creating that funnel where you know you you are aware that the thought is there um and you just you don't let it distract you you don't let it pull you away or into that negative space you just simply let it go and let it go through you and you know the thoughts are there distractions are there you know things are there to take you out of yourself or out of that moment you know if it's meditation or whatever but um those practices help you stay grounded for sure and they also do a lot to relieve some of the feelings of stress and anxiety that you can feel about your body it's yeah life-changing yeah Yeah. (laughs) portland has been changing A lot (laughs) to state the obvious. Obviously, you know that as you've lived in this area for a long time now. What uh, what are your feelings on on this rapid growth? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of excitement, and in a lot of ways, it's great for a business like I have and all the things you do. It's it's good stuff. But tell me about that. Your experience in this vastly growing, changing place. Part of me. Part of me is scared because I don't know which direction we're growing in, and I hope that it doesn't cause too much growth to the point where we have to leave, you know? Like, housing-wise, whatever. Like, the prices just keep... Yeah, yeah, where it's, you know, I I, I don't want to see it turn into, like, a New York housing market or a Silicon Valley housing market where, you know, the creatives and... Um, the people that are, you know, adding so much like color and vibrancy to the city, even like restaurateurs have to leave. Um, that being said, I think it's a very exciting time for Portland. I think there's so much opportunity for growth individually or even just together. Um, and there's so many more resources being brought in that for me overall, the growth is a positive thing. Mm 
Um, I love being a part of a city that is growing, not a city that's already grown, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I feel like, you know, we have such an opportunity to make our mark on the city and kind of make it what we want it to be Mm -hmm. if it doesn't grow too much. Um, And, you know, it's exciting. I mean, I, I love being part of a city that is just evolving and shaping it into what we kind of want it to be and you know i i love that you know new businesses are popping up there's more opportunity for people to make connections um it's in general i'm excited about it cool yeah it's pretty pretty amazing how much is going on a lot of energy here what is next for you are are there new secret projects you can (laughs) tip us off to or any well, anything ahead that you're extra excited about n- the majority of my secret projects <laughs> came out in january okay. so i did an adidas campaign and that was super cool tell us about that um they so adidas is just a brand that i really admire i mean in portland in general we have so many of these like giant brands that are based here have a hub here which is so cool and Adidas for me is in one of them just because I feel like their women's wear lines are just a little bit more geared toward my personal style. Um, and I just like really love what they do in terms of uh, making women feel strong mm-hmm. and portraying women as strong. Um, and so their team somehow found me through social media. I'm like, however you, I asked them specifically I was like how did you find me so I can keep doing that yeah, yeah, really. um, but they found me and they invited me to be part of this campaign with their new tight they came out with a running tight that was like a 2.0 version of what it once was um, and the campaign was based around me and a few other women they oh. pulled in TV and radio personalities um, two athletes and then me which I don't I'm like are you sure you got the right person okay um (laughs) I was like okay um and so they uh we did like an all-day shoot and they um focused on me as like the lifestyle kind of everyday girl um going from you know her morning routine to work to the gym to t-bar to d yeah to t we did film in (laughs) t-bar um and then to you know working out and just being super like badass in this like running tight and um, it was super fun. I loved working cool. with the crew. Yeah. Everyone was awesome. It made me feel so comfortable in front of the camera. It's the first time I'd ever done anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a video campaign. Um, and it ran through social for probably like two months. Cool. <clears throat> I think I'm like just now seeing the tail end of these. But um, yeah, it was su- it was great. It was an awesome experience. And I like hope that they hire me for something again. If you're listening, yeah, I do. put it out there, put it out in the world. Um, so yeah, that all la- launched in January. It was really awesome, and that's that was probably like the last of the secret projects. Who knows what's <laughs> coming in the pipeline? But it's my birthday in like two weeks, uh, so I'm off to Phoenix to get some sun. Not yet, yeah, much needed. Yeah, in this climate right now. Yeah, the big two five. So wow, I know. you're really getting old. Geez. I know. Yeah, but my walker is in Two the mail. It's coming. <laughs> Two five. Wow. Well, congrats <laughs> on all you've accomplished in in 25 years. Thank you. It's really really amazing. Thanks. What we're actually winding down here. Oh, wow. Um, this has been this has been awesome. Um, we want your advice. We ask all the guests this. Okay. So clearly, you're doing lots of badass stuff you're following passions you've discovered what those were over the years and followed your your heart and had some awesome opportunities 
come into your path. Some people don't know what their passions are. Some people do and don't know how to go after them or they're scared or holding themselves back or whatever. So what what is your advice for for people both of any age who are find, trying to find that path, the passion? I think my best advice is to be patient. I think a lot of people think you know, especially seeing things on social media, they think I've got to have it figured out right now. I've got to dive into this and I have to be all in. And, um, you know, failure is not an option for me because it doesn't appear to be for anyone else on social media. And I've just, I've just got to figure this out now and do it. Um, I thought I wanted to be a nurse (laughs) out of high school and up until basically like college. Uh, and I, I think if I had followed that path, it would have been fine. It would have been safe, but I don't think I would have been very happy in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am grateful that I was patient with myself enough to explore new things, to pick up a camera, try a new hobby. And, you know, it ended up being something that turned into what I'm still doing to this day, mm-hmm. you know? And I think um, a lot of people find their passions and think that that's the only thing. I think there's room for so many passions. Some people find their passion at 45, mm-hmm. you know, and and have a career change and go with that. So I think just being patient with yourself and knowing that it's a long game. It's not something that's just going to be, you know, happening overnight. And I think if you enjoy the ride and explore and experience, you'll be a lot happier, like, at the end of it. You know, when you really find that thing or things that really drive you, you know, but definitely like being patient with yourself throughout the journey yeah. and knowing that you, you know, you know yourself and you know your heart and you're going to get there and just, you know, takes a minute. So enjoy it. <laughs> well, it goes back to the meditation idea again, which is because, yeah, like you said, you could find a new passion at 45 and you have no way of foreseeing that or mm-hmm. telling, you know, predicting the future. So really you just have to be present with where you're at and accept what comes and be open to what comes because yeah. you never know. Yeah, exactly. Did you have any stumbling blocks along the way? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, well, it's obviously some <clears throat> have like acute things that were like, Oh, there was this one thing that was like a pivotal point where it made me want to quit or whatever. And, Actually, our last guest last week, um, great artist, Benjamin Ewing, he... Love him. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) He was great. Um, He was saying, he was like, no, you know, there wasn't any, like, super specific times or any big things. He just, because he said, challenges come up every single day. Yeah. Mini failures, so to speak, come up all the time, and it's about how you deal with them on a regular basis. Exactly. All the time. I mean... Whether I've had clients scream at me, I've had miscommunications where things that you think are going to happen don't happen. I've had um, job opportunities that then just like vanish into thin air. There are so many things along the way that are just there to knock you down. And it's more about how you deal with them and how you're able to just keep moving forward and learn, most importantly, learn from those experiences so that they don't happen again. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like if I quit the first time my camera broke or I dropped a lens or things like that, you know, like I would definitely not be where I'm at and 
Um, it's just, you gotta just keep going. Being patient with yourself and knowing that you're gonna be better, you know, the next time. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your wisdom. Appreciate you chatting today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, keep up the good work. I love your message. It's very, very important stuff. Thank you. I can. We can all use some extra self-love. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you. This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.